Hey guys, welcome to the show. My name is Kristen. I'm your host and life coach, and this is Modern Day Asians. In this episode, we talk about how Care checked all the boxes, got her bachelor's degree, and started her career as a tech consultant, but she still felt like she was at the lowest point of her life. She was battling depression, anxiety. She was also introduced to mindfulness when she started yoga as an alternative form of exercise, and that became her self-development journey. Today, she is a trauma-informed somatics coach and is to be a stand for all beings that were each so loved, cherished, and accepted by the divine. A major part of Kara's upbringing is that she was heavily involved in competitive dance. We talk about how the dancing community affected her nervous system, her views on competition within the household, her relationship with her sister and her siblings, body shame, and setting healthy boundaries with family members. Kara is seeking coaching advice on how to spend time in her late afternoons and evenings without disassociating and being more in the present. Her habits has been eating and watching TV and she doesn't feel that she's been a part of time and that it is not within her reach. Join me as I support her in bringing her back to the present and ways of spending her time with meaning and intent. This is Care, and she is currently the leader of this uh, book club that she decided to start. And the book that we're reading, guys, is called Permission to Come Home by Dr. Jenny Wang. And it is a transformational book, has so many chapters that are so critical to just trying to evaluate yourself and your mental health as an Asian American. So I highly recommend this book. Kara has, um, was able to create this wonderful group for other Asians in, in the world, actually, to discuss the topics in this book. So I def, I am so excited to introduce you guys to her. Yeah. So hello to whoever's listening. I, just want to express gratitude for um, anyone who's receiving and, and just open to hearing this podcast, this episode. So I am Taiwanese American, born and raised in the Bay Area. And I, ah, what do I want to say about myself? Wow. Um, <laughs> I am a trauma-informed somatic coach. And I met Kristen through the same coaching program on Momentum. And um, I'm really, really inspired and encouraged and empowered to move forward on my path as a trauma-informed somatic coach based off of my own healing journey and the work that I've had to do to be where I am now and to be able to do things like host a book club by the way, if anyone's interested, this is an ongoing book club that I, I intend to keep running. So if anyone is interested in being held in a space where we can discuss our similar and different experiences as Asians in the West, um, feel free to reach out. So I like to start with a fun icebreaker question. 
And my question for this episode to care is what is her favorite Asian comedian these days? Right now I am, have been watching a lot of Jimmy O. Young. Do you know him? Oh my gosh. Yes, I do. I watch his show. Hilarious. <laughs> Did you know he has a cooking show on YouTube? I saw a couple episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. I know that he's a really big foodie. So yeah, he cooks traditional Asian food and he actually has a garden in his backyard, which is hashtag goals. Oh um, yeah. Really fresh goals. herbs from yeah. his garden in the backyard and he brings it in and he has that traditional, you know, Asian butcher knife cuts with that bad yeah. boy. You gotta have one of those if you're Asian. Like that's the knife to go with. Yeah. So I actually asked to get the get a knife like that for Christmas. And then my my dad was like, it's actually bad luck to give knives for gifts. So oh, wow. that was a no in that <laughs> particular case. Well, you could get the money to get a knife. So they <laughs> That's true. But you know me, I'm like, am I buying the right brand? Like, I don't want to buy a crafty knife. You know, I, my parents are both chefs. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, then so. you could just ask them for the recommendation and be like, so this knife is how much money? And then ask for that amount of money. <laughs> so they're not directly giving you a knife, but. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, he is. He was introduced to me in Silicon Valley, which is like a TV show. Mm. And he yeah. was that Asian nerdy guy character. And then he started doing like his own Netflix special now. And he's got his YouTube cooking show. Um, so it is, he is really funny. My favorite Asian comedian, there's a couple right now. Um, and I'm so excited to see more Asians in the entertainment industry because you know that that stuff was not um, encouraged probably in their upbringing. Yeah. So I'm super stoked that there's actually a strong handful, two handfuls of strong comedians that are out there. Um, so some of my favorite people, Uncle Roger, Nigel Ong. <laughs> I he's hilarious I think have you heard of him before uncle Roger he's the one that like critiques food but in an Asian accent right yeah <laughs> that's actually the episode that I saw with Jimmy Young where they were like he was uh, he invited uncle Roger in to judge his fried rice yes <laughs> as he was cooking <laughs> yeah. yeah so He's hilarious because he plays this character that wears an orange polo and he's this super critical uncle with an accent. And it's hilarious because we all know someone in our lives that is super blunt, super direct about their comments. And that's exactly who uncle roger is is yeah. super boisterous too and personality <laughs> yes so he is really involved and pretty active in the in the cooking industry right now 
um, critiquing, making tons of money on YouTube videos. So he's great. And I'm happy to see, um, you know, Aquafina. She has her own show too on HBO. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my two favorite Asian comedians right now. So, well, thank you for sharing. Um, So we'll go now into care if you can share a little bit about how you started your self-development journey yeah um I feel like as I get more into it I get into this place of well I came here with that purpose (laughs) So, um, but in this life, really, I feel that I accumulated a lot of different traumatic experiences that led me to feeling really, really depressed in in high school. I was suicidal um, and felt like no one cared. No one cared. And because my feelings were being invalidated, I was forced to go to stay in places that were detrimental to my well-being, like being bullied at school and being in a really toxic dance environment. Um, a lot of competition, a lot of jealousy. Even at home, the environment was really, really toxic. Mm-hmm. So just really feeling alone in my experience and not feeling as though my emotions or my perspective had any value or was honored, respected in any way. And I just felt that it would be better if I wasn't here. I felt that living was so painful that I'd rather die. It felt like dying was probably easier than living. Mm -hmm. And so um, that led me deep into the question of why am I here? Why am I the one experiencing all of this? When I even compared myself to other people in my, in my grade or other peers or even my siblings, like I was the one really in the middle of all of it, a lot of it. And so um, eventually that subsided a little bit it took some time but I eventually got to this place where I wanted to live but I was still so depressed and so anxious and it wasn't until I graduated college and I as a technology and economics double major and I had a tech job Mm -hmm. that I really started to question like what am I doing with my life like, is this the life I want to be living? And I knew that was a no. So I started doing yoga as a form of exercise. And that led me into mindfulness, into understanding the relationship between our mental health and the things that we do for our mental health and how we show up in the world. Mm. I got a coach when I was a technology consultant because I felt like I was in my lowest of lows. I was like, I feel trapped here. I don't know how to get out of here, but I know I want out and I need support. Mm -hmm. 
And that's when things really started shifting is when I opened up to receiving support. And I invested in a coach myself. Yeah, beautiful story and journey. Um, as, as hearing your and reflecting on your childhood, that emotional piece is one of the biggest areas that's a core wound for us and and that comes with the place of okay I feel this way but maybe you're getting not validated from your friends and family and then you don't have anyone recognize or see that you're in pain and that gets all trapped inside of the body and it starts to show up in other areas of your life And that is one of the key areas in the Asian community is start having some of that emotional intelligence, meaning what do we do with the emotions that we experience and how do we express that in healthy ways other than swallowing how we're feeling and ignoring how we're feeling and just keep doing whatever we do to cope with what's going on. For me, it was keeping myself busy, doing tasks to not think about what happened, to try to run away from it. And, and, um, that eventually bleeds into my relationships, how I, how I deal with, um, how I engage with my friends, my family issues that come up at work. And so you develop this pattern on how you deal with pain and emotion and then that affects all areas of your life so that is one of the the biggest reasons why we're on this podcast is hey let's talk about this deep these deep wounds so that we can start talking about how to heal them so thank you care so much for sharing your journey and I'm so happy that you're involved with the coaching world and you have a story where it's Hey, you checked all the boxes, which is getting your degree. You got yourself an honorable job and you still felt like crap. (laughs) Oh, it was like the lowest, one of the lowest of my life. I mean, besides the suicidal depression, it was like, wow, what am I doing here? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so that is a lot of uh, second generation, third generation um, children that grow up to be adults we're we're told hey follow the safe path of getting your degree get yourself a nice paying job and most of the time that doesn't get us to where we think where happiness is or that doesn't get us to where we think our life's purpose is so um hopefully that resonates with you all um so care can you tell me in your coaching journey what have you been your biggest takeaways this year Mm, my biggest takeaways this year alone wow yes just this year I would say the body I think the somatic piece to the work that we are trained in has been the most enlightening for me because as a technology major 
I can see patterns. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And this and this happened and that resulted in this trauma and this trauma and all that stuff. And yes, there's like more, more to learn always like the attachment theory and all the things that we've learned. But when we got to the somatic piece, I was like, oh, this is what I've been missing. That connection to everything that I'm able to analyze and how it actually affects my nervous system. And so it wasn't until I wasn't until I got into the somatic piece that I actually really started to make changes that felt transformational, like truly transformational. That, um, well, I wouldn't say truly transformational. There were still things that I learned before, but it was that felt sense that I'm talking about. Because before it was maybe transformation, but more in the mind, more in the perspective. But once I got into the somatics, it's like, whoa, I can feel the changes that are happening through my body. I don't even need to put words to it, but I can sense it. And that level of knowing and embodiment is, is just profound. Mm -hmm, absolutely and I felt the same way too as well because a lot of this mental health stuff people start first thing they do is they go into the mind and they start thinking about hey how do I rephrase this how do I not let this bother me mm -hmm. but the connection that there is mind body spirit connection has been also a game changer for me because we realize I realize that a lot of the history is trapped in the body so yeah. if you experience something that's similar that happened to you when you were younger your body is reacting and it's sending you messages and it's up to us to decide do we want to stop and listen and check in to what's happening to our body because there is knowledge there and and that is one of the things where you start to connect that mind and body together. And that has been definitely one of the most transformational key knowledges that I've learned this year. Yeah. As well. yeah. And it's so interesting in my own journey because I grew up with a lot of dance training. So I was really, really somatically in uh, so what is it what is the word I'm looking for somatically inclined let's say because I had so much training around body awareness and then I also did two yoga trainings so I was really really into the body but never made the connection between the trauma and the body truly mm -hmm. until that was introduced and when that was there it was just everything just clicked mm -hmm. so it's really interesting how even though I was trained in these different modalities the body work with the yoga and then also even my other coaching programs with the mental it wasn't until there was a conscious connection framework to say hey the body and the nervous system is carrying everything that's going on in the mind and more Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was just a really powerful moment to see that and integrate two different modalities of healing into one. Yes, yes, definitely the integration 
is one of the things that not a lot of people talk about or is even recognized. So um, definitely a game, a game changer for the both of us. Kara, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to your decision to change your name? Tell us what it was before and why you decided your name is Kara. Yeah, so my full name is Caroline Lai. And Lai in Chinese means to rely on. And Caroline means free woman. And so that's what my name means. And growing up, my parents can never say my name because there's line at the end. And that really pissed me off. <laughs> How did they say it? Like, tell me. They're like, Carol, they would be like Carolyn or Caroline. Like it wouldn't, it just, it just didn't sound like my name. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, why would you name your daughter something you can't even say? <laughs> and it, and if it's like, if it was meant to be Carolyn, then why would you spell it Caroline? Like I was just really, really confused and upset about my situation. And so um, I never truly embodied my name mm -hmm. there was trauma around my name to begin with and my first email address ended up being care bear dancer 5678 um and then I already spoke to this but when I was suicidal the question that I asked myself or not the question more so the the belief that I carried was that no one cared and that's what made me really not want to be here. Mm. And on my journey, it was a becoming, it has been a becoming of, no, but I care. You know, I care that I'm here. And I want to be a voice to those who feel, who have felt or do feel the way that I have felt. And no one cares that I care. I believe that every being every person is cherished and is loved. Mm. And I am being a stand for that. And in that process, I also discovered the um, acronym of care for myself that comes out to compassionate acceptance, radiantly embodied. And so that is my mission in this life is to embody compassionate acceptance in a radiant way so that people in my presence can feel like they're accepted mm -hmm. just by my vibration. Mm. That's right. The embodiment piece of like, oh, I actually really vibrate at the level of accepting every person, no matter what they've done, no matter who they've been in the past, the mistakes that they've made, everyone is accepted. And it's through that level of compassionate acceptance that I believe can support people into healing and support people into learning to love themselves and learning to be compassionate to life around them 
as well. It was kind of a natural progression of re-identifying myself. Yeah. So my parents, my mom got this, my name is Kristen, and she got this name from a friend's suggestion. So my name is spelled differently, and people read it so many different ways. Mm. They'll look at the first six letters, and then they'll call me Christian, Christine, Mm. Crystal. I mean, I get Christy just a bunch of guesses at the end. And you know, what's funny too, as well as my dad's side of the family, uh, my biological dad's side of the family, they call me Christine. My stepdad also calls me Christine. So (laughs) there's also some name confusion too on on my side as well Mm. because of the spelling and there's so many variations with the word Chris in it so I can I feel your pain so my next question because you had mentioned that you were in a dance community growing up and there was competition that came up how did competition affect your family's relationship and also how you showed up when there when there is the friendship piece. Yeah, so when I started dance, I was around eight years old and my sister was 13. She's five years older than me. And actually she didn't like that she had started dance much later because when you start to get older, it's like, it's less, um, what is the word I'm looking for? It's more challenging to gain flexibility because your body starts to set in a little bit more. And so she was upset that she didn't get a chance to start earlier and she quit. And I continued dancing. And the thing is, she was always jealous of the fact that I danced and she didn't. And so there was always a lot of tension around that. Um, And I experienced some pretty intense things in the house because of that. Um, Like she would always try to cut off my expression, like talk over me and say things like I'm older so I get to talk and you don't. And that really, made me feel unsafe to express myself. Mm-hmm. And she would do things like attack me in my sleep. And she did it playfully, quote unquote, but that was really traumatic for me. Mm-hmm. And she enjoyed at that time, like making me cry because she did more more than once. Mm-hmm. And that created insomnia. I have sleep trauma that I'm still healing from. So those are the things that happened in my household because of dance. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if because of it, but part of it played into the tension in our dynamic and the wounding. And then at dance, my teacher was someone that was really, really strict. She was a Japanese professional ballerina. And so 
Um, and she was also someone that I feared a lot. My nervous system was always in fear when I was in that space. Looking back at it, I realized that my nervous system took a lot just being in that space. I was scared when she came into the room, everyone would just stop talking. Like it was, she had that kind of presence mm -hmm. and would say things like, you're too fat to jump higher, would yell at us if we breathe the wrong way, those mm -hmm. kinds of things, would say things like, you have thunder thighs that could kill cows. Um, and so, yeah, that was really um, traumatic in the sense of having this mother figure, because she ended up being a mother figure to me, in a way, a wounded mother figure. And all the other mothers were, were also like gossiping and like judging the kids and being like, my kid's better than you, yeah. or things like that. And even amongst the kids, there was a lot of um, competition, especially when I was younger. There was just a lot of like, my team is better than your team, or like this team would talk talk bad things about the other team, and mm -hmm. and um, later on it was a, it was more relaxed. But and in that, I I took on a lot of those things, as in I became someone that was really harsh. As when I started teaching younger kids, mm -hmm. and I have challenges connecting with women I have fear around connecting with women and girls and questioning if like they're genuinely my friend or they're just being nice in that moment um and I became someone that was also mean you know I I took on those traits as well and it it's been a long journey of accepting that that's what I took on and forgiving myself for being that way Mm -hmm. and releasing all of those patterns and coming into okay that's not who I am this is who I am yeah and it totally makes sense why you behaved the way that you did um when you decided to teach kids later um from what I've been told, I haven't been in the dancing community, but there's also another level of just being a female is body shame and being told and evaluated that early on. Like you, you wonder why women have body image issues, Yeah, but you know, receiving comments like that and having to have a certain figure to participate in a sport it really starts to tear you down especially when you start to hear these comments at a very young age you don't know what's the truth or not because you're hearing this from an elder and you're told that elders are always right and correct so how damaging it is to receive that those tough criticisms already at such a young age mm -hmm. And the way you view yourself, your relationship with your body, it is just, I mean, I'm, I'm very sad to hear about this, but this is real stuff, you know, for the men that's out there. This is one of the ways 
where as women from a very, very young age, we're already being evaluated what our body shape should look like. And those, you change, right? Your body is always changing too as time moves on. So um, do you have anything else you want to mention about this? I mean, it it's one of those experiences too as well where you start to question exactly it brings it takes you back to how do you form friendships with your sister especially since she saw you as competition and she starts to take out some of that the her hurt on you and she's using that family hierarchical system because you're the younger one and I have to admit I did that to my sister too as well yeah and I did that to my sister yeah right so we're just passing it down um is that is just just how the parents are passing it down to the children and the children repeats that and that is exactly what generational trauma is that's an example yeah I'm just so grateful that you're in this space of healing all of that you know Like we need more of this, especially with our background. Exactly. And I say that as I reflect, being aware, literally one of my biggest regrets was how I treated my youngest sister. Yeah. And with doing this work, I say, hey, that was the past. I forgive myself for being mean to her just given the the rough circumstances that I've been in but time is now time is present and we can do something to start changing that right like Mm -hmm. that living in the present is what's going to help with processing what happened in the past right so let's let's not give up you guys um yeah when it comes to that don't let shame make you not want to change Mm, I love that. Don't let shame make you not want to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had to, I remember going to the beach with my younger sister when I was like in my first year of college and I just cried. I was like, I'm so sorry for all the things that I've done in the past because I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And I worked to repair that relationship to the level that I could to the level that I could but then I started to you know see other things that were like cracks in our family dynamic where I'm the one doing the work but not everyone in my family is doing the work and it was really challenging for me to be the change while still not really receiving that from my older siblings. I have an older brother and an older sister. And so no one modeled that for me. I took it upon myself to be different. And so as I did more of this work, I had to set boundaries and to be like, hey, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And currently I don't speak to my older siblings or any of my siblings actually and that took a lot of a lot of courage 
um, to really set that boundary of like, hey, I'm not going to let myself be treated like this. Exactly. And I want to acknowledge you for making that decision for yourself because there are two different perspectives, I think, from someone who don't really understand like the holistic perspective of boundaries. People can say that, well, that's kind of selfish or, well, that's your family. How could you do that? But a lot of the reasons why is we truly need to start protecting ourselves because our collectivism mindset is developed from so early on that you move as a unit, that you are your family and that yeah. you are one personality, essentially, like your whole family is one face. And if any of the weaker ones within that unit, you're getting evaluated as the weakest link. So with that being said, it's hard for people in the Asian community to start thinking like, hey, I'm my own individual and I should not be judged for, for instance, what my parents have done, what my sister has done, what my brother has done, but really thinking about yourself as an individual. And it takes a big step to draw those boundaries. How can I protect myself and heal myself so that I can present myself out to the world and and pour from a full cup, essentially. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's important to keep in mind that boundaries might sound so firm and un, you know, unemotional, but sometimes it needs to happen so that you have the space to heal from whatever you got to heal through. So yeah. Yeah, like healing, trying to heal while still be in relation to my siblings was like rubbing salt on the wound, mm -hmm. right? I was doing all this work and then one thing would happen. It'd be like, what? <laughs> like, why? And it would break me down. Like I had moments where I was crying on the floor because I was so heartbroken by the betrayal I was still experiencing as a 24-year-old from my older sister. Mm -hmm. and so and putting that boundary up is also a way to it's actually supportive for both parties because then the other person learns that in some way, treating someone like that is going to have consequences. Mm -hmm. And treating someone poorly is not, even if it's family, it's like, there's still a person. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still a person and they still deserve to be treated with love and respect. Mm -hmm. And if that's not happening, and I'm allowing that to continue, right? If I'm allowing someone to keep hurting me, then that's the kind of people that I'm going to attract in my life. Mm. People that are, keep hurting me because I'm allowing it to happen. And so when I place boundaries around people that are my family, that sends a signal to the universe that says, oh, Kara's not allowing that to happen in her life. And I've witnessed through my experience of placing those boundaries the the people that are coming into my life are healthier 
because I'm no longer allowing people who cross my boundaries like that to enter into my life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 100%. I love, love what you said about why they exist. And key thing too, law of attraction. Yeah. Ever wonder why you're stuck in toxic relationship? Look up law of attraction. (laughs) (laughs) We're at the point of the show where we're transitioning to how can I coach and support you with whatever's present this moment? Yeah. So I would love to work on my relationship with time. Okay. And a specific segment of time too. It's that time after school from like four from like 3 30 up until like 8 30 9 30 and this is actually related to my dance because starting from when school ended to to dance finish was around like it could go anywhere from 7 30 to 10 30 depending on the day and that time my nervous system was activated. Mm -hmm. And I feel that because of that, I have a really traumatic relationship to that period of time in my, in the day, because I I was training a year round since I was eight until I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. So that chunk of time was always dedicated to dance. And that fear trauma response. Gotcha. And that time you said it was from 7.30 to 10.30? No, from from 3.30, anywhere from 3.30 to 7.30, 10.30. Like basically the evening, the early afternoon to evening. Okay, gotcha. And you mentioned that you've tuned in somatically what's been going on. How do you experience those times as you're more aware to your somatics, I know you said that. There's a, there's a desire to dissociate, like just not be here. Okay. And a really big like depression, feeling unmotivated, uninspired, just lack of energy. Um, yeah. Gotcha. And what have you tried? I honestly, this is just coming into my awareness like this past week. So I haven't tried anything yet. <laughs> this is my first time addressing it in this framework. Yeah. Okay. And how would you like to spend your time in the evenings? Mm. Doing things that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm things that excite me like dance you know dance is still something that is in my bones but there's a there was a lot of trauma around it so dancing singing creative stuff cooking things that tap me into the pleasure of life okay great you mentioned so many feminine activities which you from listening to you, you come from a very structured environment where it's like dance, you know, they're strict and you have to be perfect. So you have this opportunity, this time to spend it however way you want. 
but keeping in mind how can you invite this free energy mm-hmm. and fun creative energy so that you don't feel too structured so that is what would be something you might be looking for so what could be a good balance of the two you have one extreme end and one mm-hmm. flexible end i never looked at it from that sense Um, probably like scheduling time for play. Yeah. Right. Like scheduling like this, like, okay, this one hour, I'm going to do what feels good for me. What, and that flexibility is in what's being done. So there's no structure to it, but there's a structured time slot. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what would you like to try with those activities that came up for you? Semantically, what is something that pulls you forward? Well, I have been really interested in starting to record my voice. So studying how to, I got a microphone recently. So studying how to work with some of the software to um make my voice crystal clear and playing around with that and finding different ways to do it. So probably just spending an hour a day, like figuring that out. Yeah. And that sounds creative too, especially with your IT background, the technology background, and you also be in tap with your creative side as you get to explore with technology. So that definitely sounds like a winner to to attempt a a new activity in the evenings. What do you normally do when you do associate, when you feel disassociated in that evening time? Usually I'll like watch a show. (laughs) A show? Yeah, I'll watch something on Netflix or do something like, um, I've been getting better at that, working on coming back into my body and then doing like some movement. I'll do some like dancing or I will sing songs. I'll play music. Um, I'll go out on my balcony and just get some fresh air. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been doing different things to support my nervous system, but the dissociative pattern that comes up is usually eating or TV. Mm, okay, so why why food? Oh man, food. <laughs> I love food. <laughs> I love food too. I love food. Um, and I wanna come back to what you were speaking to in the dance community of body image. So I struggled with bulimia for a few years on and off. Um, and it would come sporadically. And, and so my relationship to food has always been about comfort. Um, there's a level of comfort in food. So that's why food for a dissociative pattern. Mm. And TV, I remember 
I mean, isn't TV like everyone's dissociative pattern? <laughs> yeah, I do that. I do um, that too as well. Yeah, not everyone, but a lot of people. But we're like conditioned to dissociate with TV mm-hmm. as a society. But in my personal experience, um, TV was really safe. In my household, there was a lot of toxic relating, unhealthy relating. And TV was one of the only times where there was minimal. There was still conflict because who controlled the TV channel was a big issue. But once we were watching TV, there wasn't really space for conflict because we were watching TV. And right. so it was a place of safety for me. Yeah. Beautiful awareness. Um, I want to follow up on what you said about food. And when you eat the food as comfort, do you pay attention? Is there mindfulness eating behind that? What is your... Sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, oh, this this chocolate is so good. And I know that it's supporting my level of comfort. (laughs) Like I do tell myself that. Mm -hmm. And I've given myself a lot of grace. Like sometimes it's okay that I find comfort in food. Mm -hmm. And I believe that I'm aware enough to the point where I don't necessarily overindulge to the point where I would be bulimic again. So thankfully, you know, that's, I have that level of awareness and boundary now, but I do still have moments where I might overeat a little bit, you know, go past my satiation boundary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So going back to your ways of coping, which is food for coping TV for disassociation as well. And then you mentioned so many beautiful explorers ways to spend your evenings. I'm going to ask you, what will be a great stretch goal for you? Because the connection with allowing yourself to play without having to earn it is important to consider here what an example of a stretch goal would be. Yeah, what was something that will make you feel a little bit uncomfortable with doing? There's maybe some hesitancy or resistance, but you know. Oh yeah, it's definitely the recording my voice part of things. Okay. Um, Okay, so I see what you're saying. I got it, I got it. Okay, (laughs) there we go. That's what I needed. Okay. Um, uh, Stretch goal would be putting my meditation on insight timer or sharing that I have a meditation and offering it to people yes to your followers Mm, yeah like posting like as my freebie this meditation that I made exactly it hasn't been produced yet uh I literally just got my mic today so (laughs) (laughs) so no it's done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So maybe your fun stretch goal is that you explore with different ways to record your voice, produce it, and then share it to your followers that you have 
an offering, um, which ties in incredibly strong to what you're trying to do with your community and in your coaching realm. Um, So when would you like to do that by? Because I'm going to keep you accountable. Oh my God. (laughs) What day is it today? (laughs) Today's the 30th. So maybe by the new year. By the new year. By the new year. Okay. All righty. Is there anything else related to this that you would like to talk more about? Yeah, I just want to speak to the feeling that I get when this, when there's this time at this time of day, it feels very unreal. That's the only word right now that comes up and I want to expand on that a little bit so what does that mean um it feels like this time is okay rather it's more as though I'm not a part of the time Mm, okay like the time is there but it's not within my reach it just feels very nebulous and floating okay what so thinking about some of the somatic tactics and exercises what will help you bring you back to your body Mm. do you remember those exercises I do I feel like taking a cold shower is what comes up for me. Oh, heck yeah. It feels like I've tried other ones and they're, they're okay. But something about the cold shower is like the thing that is feels as though it's going to bring me back. Mm-hmm. I okay. feel that because of how dissociative that time is for me, the other things don't work as well. Because a part of what happened when I was dancing was I was moving my body and I was doing things, but I just wasn't here. Yeah. So doing things is almost reminiscent of that same energy of being active, but not really being present while being active. Mm -hmm. So I feel that that's why other somatic tools don't support it as much because it's not necessarily different enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the cold shower is something that just came into my awareness of, oh, that's something that would definitely bring me back. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It should wake your system up. And when that, when you do do that exercise, just tune in to, you know, after you do the shower, things like that, just kind of pay attention to what happens after the shower. What are your tendencies um, that's related to after you do that, do that exercise. And that might reveal some other things that you might want to look into. Maybe some awareness or insights might come up. 
So maybe just do like a quick body check-in after the shower. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did it help answer your question? It did. It did. I didn't really understand that until I started articulating it. So I'm grateful for this space. Thank you for listening and tuning in today. If you find this helpful, please share with whoever you think can resonate with this episode. My ask for you is to subscribe if you haven't. And if you can, I invite you to go to the link in the description. And if you sign up for emails, you will get a free gift from me, which is my three self-discovery journaling prompts that you'll receive. And, and that is a gift from me for subscribing to my email updates. The email updates will give you information on the latest episodes, events that I'll be hosting, virtual or live, and also other opportunities to improve your self-improvement. Thank you so much again for listening, and I'll catch you next time.